So the reading is Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth fruit, food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes light, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. 
May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeling down, take a hike. A new study finds quantifiable evidence that walking in nature could lead to a lower risk of depression. Specifically, the study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science found that people who walked for 90 minutes in a natural area, as opposed to participants who walked in high-traffic urban areas, showed decreased activity in a region of the brain associated with a key factor in depression. The studies are part of a growing body of research exploring the connection between nature and human well-being. I read recently... And I also read this recently. Images with green space receive a positive response. This was a sort of a laboratory study of people. Uh, But it has now been found that images with both green and blue get a more favorable response still. And so it goes on. It seems that nature does us good and that science is very interested in this phenomenon. And as Christians, of course, that is no surprise to us. It's no surprise to us if we've read Genesis 1 and 2. No surprise to us because, firstly, we know that creation is God's good cradle for us. Uh, That's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. God uh, places his creatures in his creation. It's God's place for us. There is established in Genesis 1 and 2, in fact, a profound interconnectedness between humanity and creation. That plays out in lots of ways. One example uh, is that when humanity falls and is cursed, creation falls with it and suffers under humanity's curse. There is a profound interconnectedness between humanity and creation. We live in a fallen world, but nevertheless, the fact remains that we are still fitted for creation, and creation is fitted for us. That is why when you turn to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21, 22, you find that when God renews his people fully and finally, he puts them where? Not in some ethereal cloud of the adverts, but in a renewed creation. Creation is God's good cradle for us. It's where we belong. And secondly, creation is, to borrow a phrase, charged with God's grandeur. Uh, That is the part of Psalm 104. It's the principal point of Psalm 19. Do you remember these words? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet, verse 4, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. Or, as Gerard Manley Hopkins put it, the world is charged 
with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. The point is that we were made to bask in the glory of God. We were created to receive it and to reflect it, seeing God's glory, tasting God's glory, experiencing God's glory is good for us. And God's glory shines forth from the created order. We taste something of God's glory when we look at the world, and it does us good. Now, for the non-Christian, of course, that good is partial because the source of that goodness is denied. So the glory is seen superficially, purely in the created order. It is not traced back to its source, the good creator of the created order. Romans 1 talks about that, that the the creation speaks of the power of God. God himself is denied. Non-Christians refuse to recognize God and his glory, but still reap some benefit, as those scientific studies show, by God's common grace. But you see, Psalm 104 is saying, for the Christian, we are called to look at creation with eyes that are being renewed by the Holy Spirit, to seek to more consciously recognize God's glory in the world, to ascribe to God, like the psalmist, the wonders that we see, to grow our delight in God through the study of his world. Psalm 104, it's been well pointed out by commentators, uh, parallels in many ways Genesis 1. It's, it's, it's an active meditation on Genesis 1. The ordering is very similar. It reminds us in the opening verses that, uh, as uh, Kidna, one of the great commentators on this passage, uh, says, God is, uh, the Christian God is distinct from creation, but he is not remote from creation. And it reminds us that the purpose of creation, creation is purposeful, The purpose of creation is to draw forth praise, uh, to draw forth joy, delight in God, its creator, as we increasingly perceive his glory in the world. What the psalmist does is he unites, and he does it elsewhere too, he unites the wonders of creation with the works of God, the glories of creation with the glory of God. In so doing, it seems to me the psalm unites what contemporary debates on science and faith so often separate the operation of God from the operation of nature. The psalmist sees no dichotomy there. God provides, the psalm says, and yet at the same time animals gather. I mean, isn't that the point of verse 21? The lions roar for their prey, and you can go and study how it is that lions roar for their prey and act in ways scientifically to take down their prey and seek their food from God. The psalmist won't dichotomize what so often we dichotomize. God provides water, the psalm says, and also, if you notice as you read through the psalms, you have very much sketched out the water cycle. The operation of God with the operation of nature are held together. Indeed, God's glory is seen in the beauty and the balance. God's glory is seen in the wonder and the ways of nature. God is not challenged here by science. Indeed, he compels science. God is not removed in the beautiful equations of science. He is revealed by them to some extent. Psalm 104 will tell us. 
we see in the equations of science something of the order of God, something of the beauty of God, something of the interconnectedness of God, something of the power of God. All of this, it seems to me, begins to help us to see how it is that God wants us to use creation to grow our delight in Him. How it is that we are to see God's glory, which of course is how we grow our delight in God, through creation. C.S. Lewis uh, spoke about this uh, in one of his uh, essays, and the name has just gone, but it'll come back to me. And he talks about the difference between looking at something and looking along something. Ah, that's right. The, the essay was called Meditations from My Toolshed. That's right. He talks about the difference between looking at something and looking along something. And he says this. This is uh, Lewis. I was standing today in a dark toolshed. The sun was shining outside, and through the crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light, with the specks of dust floating in it, was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, but not seeing things by it. Then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed, and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw, framed in the irregular crack at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside. And beyond that, 90-odd million miles away, the sun. Looking along the beam and looking at the beam are very different experiences. Do you see his point? By the way, I don't advocate looking at the sun. Um, <clears throat> that's not the point I want to draw from as an astronomer. I can assure you that is not a good thing to do. But that's not his point. His point is we are to look at things carefully, and the psalmist calls us to do that. You're not going to wonder at the world unless you look at the world carefully, as the psalmist is doing Psalm 104. So we're to look at the world as carefully as we can, see the equations, see the way nature works. That's science. But we're also, the psalmist says, to look not just at the created order, but if you like, along the created order. We're to trace these things then back to the creator, who to some extent is revealed by uh, the created order. One of uh, the great 18th century American theologians, Jonathan Edwards, is famous for this. He's got whole volumes of his personal jottings where he spends hours looking at and describing what he sees. He's got famous things on sort of, I think, um, spiders' cobwebs and things. He marvels. He takes the time to step back and just marvel at the created order. And then he tries to trace back, look along the created order to what it reveals about the creator. Here's a little taste of Edwards. When we behold the light and brightness of the sun, the golden edges of an evening cloud, or the beauteous bow, we behold the adumbrations, that is a sketch or an outline, of God's glory and goodness. And in the blue sky, we see his mildness and his gentleness. And so he goes on. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's looking at nature and he's glorying in it and seeing, beautiful, isn't it? Uh, the golden edges of an evening cloud. I mean, it's just glorious. But then he takes time to trace back. What does this tell me about the beauty of the God I worship? 
Now, that's not always easy, of course. Like all Christian ways of living, it needs to be learned. It needs to be developed. We need to be renewed by the Spirit in an ongoing way. And one of the issues we're going to have to face, and the Bible talks about this, of course, is sin. Because we know to some extent now we live in a fallen world. We know ourselves that sin is still present in us. And sin veils God's glory in the world. It makes us uh, unable to see God's glory as uh, we should. And we know nature also shares our curse. And God's glory does not shine through as clearly as once it did. Gerald Manny Hopkins' famous poem, if you remember, continues like this. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And where's man's smudge and shares man's smell? The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. that's That's his meditation on it. Something about creation now shares our curse. Our sight is partial through sin. And the world is now polluted and under a curse through our sin. And yet, and yet, God has not removed himself from his world. It is still his creation. His power upholds it still. His glory still shines forth. Did you see that wonderful verse, verse 30 in Psalm 104? When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. God sends his spirit in the Son, Jesus Christ, to renew a people, give them eyes to see God's glory in the world increasingly, and to help us treat creation as good stewards. And then one day when God's people are fully and finally renewed, creation will share in that full and final renewal, never to be spoilt and cursed again. Again, that's how Manny Hopkins goes on. And for all of this, he says, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. As Christ and his spirit redeems sinners and opens our eyes to God's glory, as the spirit continues his work of renewal in us, so he would continue that work of opening our eyes to the glory of God in creation. And we begin to see with ever-increasing delight the glory of God in his world. We begin to trace back from the wonders of creation to the wonders of God. We are equipped with eyes that can see his glory. And as the Spirit renews our lives, we begin to treat the world rightly, to treat it as it is God's glorious creation and not the playground for our greed. And so we begin, and God begins through us, to restore its shine and to remove our smudge and smell as we treat it with the respect it deserves. And we do that in anticipation of God's final and full renewal of us, and of creation. And it is as we do these things that creation will increasingly do for us what God intended it to do for us. It will be the place where God's glory shines forth in the goodness of creation and we will increasingly perceive it and increasingly be changed by it to the glory of God the Father. Amen.